0: Any time you use a piece of equipment in a way that it wasn't meant to be used, kind of best case scenario, nothing, you don't get the good out of it. Worst case scenario is people get hurt. Um, I won't show you anybody getting hurt, but uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, but here's, here's how not to use, go ahead, certain pieces of gym equipment, that is a lat pull down machine, that's, uh, that's not what, what that's for. Know what good he's gonna. I don't know what this machine is, but I promise you, it is not meant to be used like whatever that young man is doing right there. And then my personal favorite comes next. You want to get your your biceps worked out? You you'll find you a piece of equipment, and whatever is happening right here—that—that's I don't know what that is, but it's it's not exercise. So that's you know, anytime you use a piece of equipment. In a, in a manner that wasn't meant to be used for. Maybe you just get no good out of it, like nobody got any good out of that. But sometimes people can get hurt. Well, today in the book of First Samuel, the nation of Israel is going to use a very important piece of equipment for a, for a purpose it was not intended to be used for, and people are going to get hurt. We are five weeks into a study of the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, We've met two main characters so far, a woman named Hannah, and then her oldest son, a man named Samuel. As a a young man, he was sort of inducted into the priesthood, excuse me, into uh, being a prophet of God. That was last week's passage. And now, today, we're going to meet our third main character in the book of 1 Samuel, and our... Our third main character is not a person. Samuel is going to disappear from the book for the next three chapters. He's not mentioned. And the next main character is actually a storage container. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. It's just a little box. and When we hear the word ark, we usually think of what? Noah's Ark. And it can throw us off of this, unless you think of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which, by the way, this is what Indiana Jones was looking for in that movie. But Noah's Ark, we think, well, an ark is a boat, right? No, it's not. Uh, Noah didn't build a boat. Noah didn't build a ship. Ships have rudders and anchors and sails. Noah built a giant uh, storage container that floated. He couldn't steer that thing. He didn't know where he was going. It was just an ark, a storage container, a chest. Well, the box we're going to meet, and it's going to be our main character over the next three chapters, maybe like a month worth of sermons. And it is the main character. It's mentioned like 12 times just in chapter 4. It's a box. It stands about two and a quarter feet high. It's three and three quarters feet long. It's two and a quarter feet wide. It's like a, if it was made out of cedar, we could call it a cedar chest, but it's an acacia wood chest covered in gold. Now, since this is going to be our main character for the next few chapters, I think it's important that I do something with us now that the author of 1 Samuel didn't do for good reason. He didn't explain anything about the ark because the audience he wrote for 3,000 years ago were all Israelites who knew what the ark was and where it was kept and what it was for. And a lot of us may not come in here this morning with that knowledge. So since this is going to be our main character for the next like months' worth of sermons, I thought the wisest course of action would be this morning to give you kind of a crash course in the ark of the covenant. What it was... Uh, what it's for, where it's kept, so that we can really understand the mistakes that Israel made using it and what God does with it later. So our main character today, the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, it was placed in a a place called the tabernacle, which we've met in this book already, and I'll explain in a second. Those, Those things, the tabernacle and its main piece of furniture, the ark, were meant to to teach a very important lesson. And here it is. God wants to be with people, but sin separates people from God, and reconciliation between God and people is only possible in the way God allows. That's what the ark is for. It's what the tabernacle or the Levitical system is for, is to teach this truth. God wants to be with people, but sin messes up the fellowship, destroys the fellowship between people and God. And we can get that back, but only through the means, the manner that God says we can get it back. And no other way. We see this taught from the opening pages of the Bible. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they walk with God in the cool of the day until they sin. And immediately they start hiding, trying to hide from God. Why? Because they know their sin has separated them from God. They're not cool anymore with God. Maybe the main idea of the whole Bible is this. What is the way that God allows to restore people into fellowship with God now that we've sinned? After the garden, God sort of allows the world to exist sort of without fellowship with God. Almost no one knows God. The place is such a wreck. God has to destroy the whole place and start over. And then he picks one one man and then one nation, his descendants. Abraham and his descendants to become the nation of Israel. And God uses that nation to start teaching people that God wants to be with people. But sin separates people from God. And reconciliation with the God we need to be in fellowship with is only possible the way God allows. And God starts to teach this early on in Israel's history. He starts to teach with with the tabernacle system. Now, tabernacle is just a fancy word. It just means tent. When God started to teach how reconciliation with Him was possible, He ordered His people to make Him a tent. During this time period, Israel was a wandering people. They They lived in tents. And so God told Israel, make me a tent, a really fancy tent. Now why would the God of the universe want a tent? You know why? Because God wants to be with people. So he said, make me a tent. And Israel, they would have all their little tents all the way around God's tent. And then God even... Scratch that. What? How big of a rabbit hole do we want to go down here and explain this? So God starts teaching. I want to be with people. Remind me, what is it that separates people from God? Sin. Okay, thanks. Glad you're here. So God, theoretically, in theory, one good way to have fellowship with God would be if we would never sin. Wouldn't that work? So God. He gives Israel the behavioral rules. The behavioral rules are summarized in Ten Commandments that we call the Ten Commandments. Creative. God says, basically, you keep these ten things and you won't have to worry about whether or not we're cool. Because God wants to be with people and it's sin that separates people from God. And so God gave Moses. He originally it was God who etched the 10 commandments in the two tablets of stone. But I don't think he did it like this. I know in our houses if you have the 10 commandments hanging up or in the courthouse, you'll have five commandments on the first s- slab and five commandments on the second slab. I don't think that's the way it looked at all. I think these were two identical copies because the Ten Commandments were a covenant. It's the foundation of a covenant, a contract, a solemn agreement between God and Israel. And the agreement was this. God said, here's the rules summarized in these Ten Commandments. If you keep those, you won't have any worries. Because I'll be with you and you'll be with me. I will be your God and you will be my people. And God made two identical copies of that contract and both sides entered into that covenant. And just like we might have today, where you know if you have some sort of contract, both parties get a copy. That's what this was. So what Israel needed, they needed a safety deposit box in which they could keep both copies of their covenant with God. That's the ark. The ark of the what? The ark of the covenant. It's the ark with the covenant inside of it. So they took both copies of their contract with God, and they put them in that very special storage container. The ark with the covenant. Now, the Ark with the Covenant was then put inside God's tent. Here's a little model of it that somebody made. See the Ark back here? God's tent had two rooms because it was a very fancy tent. God's bedroom, so to speak, was back here. That's where the the Ark with the Covenant in it was kept. And then this bigger room, this was called the Holy of Holies, or the Most Holy Place. Outside of that, God's bigger room, called the Holy Place, we can think of that like God's living room, God's parlor. And in God's parlor, there's a a big candelabra like this with oil lamps. The lights were always on in God's parlor. And over here in this little table, there was always bread laid out. So the lights were always on and there was the table was always set, there's always bread. Now why would God have a parlor in His tent where the lights were always on, and there was always bread, and the table was always set? In case any of God's friends stopped by, He's always ready with His hospitality because God wants to be with people. And He's always got food, and the lights are always on. But God's people had a problem. Because the covenant is in that box right there and they can't keep it. So none of God's friends could stop by and, and eat that bread and bask in that light and enjoy God's hospitality. Because God is teaching, I want to be with you. Sin separates us and you can't stop by And I've got the proof right in here. You said you knew the rules. And you haven't kept the rules. So God in His grace still to. He's taught the problem very clearly. The problem is we can't keep the rules. So we can't have the fellowship with God and that's what we need more than we need anything else. so god back here in his in his bedroom so far i've talked about we just have a we just have a storage container with the covenant in there and god is said to to uh, dwell above that ark what are people going to need from god if they're going to be able to have fellowship with god they're going they're going to need to not get from god what they deserve to get from God which is punishment and that when God doesn't give someone the punishment they deserve that is called mercy and so God ordered Israel to make a special lid it's some usually it's translated as seat but it's seated on top of the ark it's a lid and this is the most costly part of the whole box because this was uh, made of acacia wood covered in gold, but the mercy lid or the mercy seat was solid gold. It's the most valuable part. And then uh, God told Moses to have craftsmen make some, some angels, some cherubs, we would say cherubim. They are like the uh the witnesses that God has always kept his part of the covenant. And so here's what we see. The, here's the here's both Copies of the covenant down here. Here's a holy and perfect God that these angels symbolically see. God has always kept His part of the covenant. But we have an in-between, a holy, perfect God and the proof of our sin is God's mercy, which is what we need. This whole system is to teach us that God wants to be with people. Sin separates people from God. How do we get that fellowship back? So far, we know it's going to take mercy. So that is kept in sort of God's bedroom, clear back in there. Here's God's parlor. The table's set. The lights are on. No one ever gets to stop by because we haven't kept the rules. We haven't kept the the commandments that are in that covenant, in in the box in there. So, in His grace, God's still teaching. How do we get that mercy that we need? You see on this, there's a, there's a little worshiper here, and he's got, it should be a bull. To me, if you can see closely enough, he, this guy brought an old cow with him to the tabernacle that day. But I don't fault the authors for not knowing the difference. Um, God allowed, he, he invented, he prescribed a system of Sacrifices. And we've seen this earlier in the book of 1 Samuel. Hannah's family did this. A worshiper would bring a young bull without blemish or a ram. And the patriarch of the family would bring that that animal to the priest, and he would lay his hands on the head of that animal, and he would confess I would confess my sins and the sins of my family onto that animal. And then that animal would die instead of me and my family dying. It could die as a substitute so that I could have God's mercy. And then, after that first animal was burned up to God and our sin was taken care of, like we saw with Hannah in chapter 1 and her family, uh, we could offer another animal that would symbolize that we have fellowship with God. It's a fellowship offering or a peace offering. And we could symbolically eat that meal with God because our sin's been taken care of. But, but the fellowship's only partial. Because if this was a fellowship offering and it was butchered and taken uh, and on these tables and cooked, you had to take it offside. It was only takeout at the tabernacle. Right There's no dine-in. You'd have to take this and go out here someplace to enjoy your meal. Still, nobody got to come in and and experience God's full hospitality. Those animal sacrifices, it was all temporary, uh, not quite full fellowship with God because all of this points to the one sacrifice that would be adequate remove sin, and that's that's the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He was, as his cousin called him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is why when Jesus died, that, that curtain that separated God from the rest of the world was torn in two, symbolically showing that now access is open between God and people. God wants to be with people. Sin separates people from God. And the only way we can repair that fellowship is through the means God gave. In Samuel's day, God was still teaching people. Now, on the other side of the cross, we can see what did it fully. Now, the the fellowship that we have with God even today is in some ways partial. When we believe in Jesus Christ, God takes up residence in us. But we're still waiting till we get to go experience God's full in-person hospitality. That that feast is coming. Now, some of this is why in our tradition here, uh, we we don't have uh, we don't have an altar up here. We don't have a, a tabernacle. Other churches have a, a special cupboard. And in it's called a tabernacle, and inside that cupboard, they, they will keep bread and wine. Because Jesus, guess who is the special bread that came down from heaven? That's Jesus. We don't have a tabernacle where we keep bread and wine. Um, we don't teach the like I don't turn it into the actual uh, body and and blood of Christ. Uh, I, we don't even teach that um, that the, the the Jesus's presence is in, on, and around those elements because we don't believe that to have access to God you have to come to this holy place and see this holy man. And I don't get to decide who gets and who does not get uh, fellowship with God through that. His sacrifice. His sacrifice was done once for all. And it is open, we teach, to all who believe that Jesus died because of my sins. Uh, and that sacrifice is effective for all of my sins. Now, therein ends the longest sermon introduction in the history of sermon introductions. I promise the body of the sermon will not be as long as the introduction of the sermon was. because that's our main character. That's our main character for the next three chapters. It was designed. It was built to teach that God wants to be with with people. What is it that messes up our fellowship with God? Sin, and we can only get that fellowship repaired through the way that God has designed. So it, that's what that box was meant to teach, right? Okay. Now we're going to read. We're going to read eleven verses just to set the context, so you can see the mistake um, that Israel makes with this box, the Ark of the Covenant and see what happens, but we're only going to teach through three verses today. Really, we're going to teach through one verse, mainly. But this is 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning in the second part of verse 1 through verse 11. It reads this, Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle, and camped beside Ebenezer, which is a place, not a guy, while the Philistines camped in Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel, When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. Verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who sits above the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they were there with the Ark of the Covenant. So they they grabbed those poles and they march the box out there. In verse 5, As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. When the Philistines... Heard the noise of the great shout in the camp of the Hebrews, or excuse me, they said, What does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then the Philistines understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us. Who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? This is the Philistines talking. These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. And here's the pep talk the Philistines give each other. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become the slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. And so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated every Israelite man fled to his own tent and the slaughter was very great for there fell uh, there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phineas, died. There's the story that we're going to be really talking about this week and next. That's the story of the time when The nation of Israel, they they tried to use the Ark of the Covenant like as a weapon of mass destruction. They tried to go nuclear on the Philistine. They got whipped in battle, and they go and get the Ark of the Covenant. supposed to be in the most holy place. Nobody's ever supposed to go in there. Nobody's even supposed to ever see it. It's supposed to be covered up if it ever moves so people can't see it. And they go bring it out to use it like a good luck charm slash weapon of mass destruction. They think the magic box, the box of magic, will help us defeat our enemies. And boy, are they wrong. And this morning, I just want to zero in on verse 3 from our text. And I want you to notice that at first, this is before they go and get the ark. When they first get defeated, they ask what for them is the right question. The people came into the camp after just having been whipped by the nation of Philistia. They asked this, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? That's the right question. Because remember, they existed inside a covenant based on the law with God. Here was their agreement. You keep the law, God said, and I will make sure stuff goes good for you in your life. That was the the covenant. In fact, had they explored that more, had, had they explored that question, why would God let us get whipped today? They might have remembered verses like this. This is Leviticus 26, 17, where God promises, If you don't obey me, Israel, I will set my face against you. You will be struck down before your enemies, and those who hate you will rule over you. If they had just considered their question, their own question. Why did God let us get whipped today? they might have realized it's because we're not keeping up our end of the covenant. But they don't give themselves a second to even answer the question. Instead, they jump right to, let's go get the box of magic and bring it out here and see if it will help us. win." I don't want to change anything. Let's not do anything differently than we did before. Let's just go try to go get God and bring him out here and see if he will fight for us. What what is going on sort of underneath the surface of this that that could make them do something this stupid? This is idiotic. This is idiotic on so many levels. On one level, how idiotic is it to believe that you can make God do what you want God to do? Who's God? Him or you? Right? That's dumb, but this is even dumber than that kind of dumb. Because here's what they do. They go get the Ark of the Covenant. They carry it into battle, thinking this is going to help but do you remember what they're carrying? What's inside the ark? It's the ark of the what? It's the covenant. They are marching around with both copies of the contract that they are not keeping. They're marching around with the evidence that tells God why they should get whipped. That's not going to help. It's the opposite of help. They're disobeying the very covenant that is causing them to get defeated. I think someone somewhere knew the answer to the question and did not want to consider its answer. Why has the Lord defeated us today? It's because we're not keeping our end of the bargain for Israel. Just because you arrive at the right question doesn't mean you're ready to consider the answer. And that's Israel. And even though it's been 3,000 years, and even though we are not Israel... We're not all that different. Because you know what Israel's biggest problem is? Somebody remind me, I'm kind of punchy. What What? What was the ark supposed to teach? What does God want? He wants to be with people. What is it that separates us from God? Sin. Do you know what Israel's problem was? They didn't want what they really should have wanted. Their greatest need was to be with God. That's not what they wanted. They didn't want to be with God. They wanted God to do stuff for them. They wanted other things more than they wanted to be with God. They wanted to whip the Philistines. They wanted to enslave the Philistines. They wanted to enrich themselves by beating the Philistines, they didn't have time to consider their greatest need was actually to be with God. Isn't this still true? It's still really easy to want stuff that we want way worse than we want to be close to God. Isn't that true? Am I the only one that ever struggles with this? Israel's biggest problem is still our biggest problem. It's not that there isn't a God. It's not that he hasn't provided a way for us to be with him. It's often not that we don't understand the pathway back to him. Our problem is we want other stuff worse than we want him. Folks, I want to make this a little more personal. God still wants to be. God doesn't want to just be with people. God wants to be with you. God wants you to be with Him. The problem that you have and that I have is that we sin, we have jack up our own ability to be close with God. We can't keep the rules. And it's so easy to just throw up our hands and say, well, I can't do that. But listen, the, the reconciliation path that God has allowed is not go back and keep trying to keep the rules. He taught through Israel that we can't keep the rules. Over and over, God said, hey, Israel, be good, and I'll make everything go well for you. That's not the covenant we live under. We can't keep the rules. So you know what we earn from our sin? Punishment, condemnation, and death. That's what we earn. Here's the good news. God meant what He said. Our sin, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. What's vengeance? It's like anger, wrath. God promised, vengeance belongs to me, and He promised, I will repay every sin of my terrible vengeance and wrath. The good news is, it just doesn't fall on us. The good news is that God allowed a path of reconciliation through the cross of Christ, where even though we can't keep all the rules, he found a way to punish every sin and give us fellowship with him at the same time. So, God, every sin you ever sin, God, because He's God and He exists outside of time, God, before you were ever born, before you were ever thought of, He knew every one of your sins. And He, he loaded the vengeance and the punishment and the wrath that your every sin would deserve. He saw that sin you sinned that went like in the shotgun of His wrath. He saw that sin you sinned that got loaded up. He saw that word you said, that thought you said, the act you did, everything you ever did, more wrath, vengeance, loaded, loaded, until he couldn't take it anymore. And someone is going to die for your sin. And though he had you in his sights, he turned to both barrels of his wrath and fired them. At the only one who actually kept the rules. Who never sinned. And his wrath was completely spent for your sin on his punishment. God wants to be with you. God wants you to be with Him. But God is not a liar. Sin separates people from God. If you want to be with God, there is one way. You have to approach the God you offended with your sin in the only way He allowed Himself to be approached by sinners. God is still in His tabernacle. The New Testament says that the one that Moses had the nation build is a model of the real one. He's still there. The table is set, the lights are on, and he wants you to come dine with him. But there is only one way that you will ever get access. To that, and that is by believing that he sent his son to be the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of of the world. That you will get to that banquet someday not because you've kept the rules better than someone else or you're doing better now than you used to, but because he was as good as it gets and he was punished instead of you. God wants to be with you. Your sin separates you from a holy God. And the only way you have a Repairing that relationship, is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That, that he has punished. He has been punished with all the punishment you deserve. And then, why would you do anything else in your life but live with the God who would do that with you? What you still need is closeness to Him. Why do you come to church? If you say prayers, why do you say your prayers? If you read the Bible, why do you read the Bible? Are you just trying to be good enough that God will make things go good for you on earth? You know what that's like? It's like carrying around the box of magic. It's like carrying around the box, I've been good this week, God, and we got a big game coming up on Tuesday. I've been good this week, God. and I've been really good this year, God. And harvest is starting. And I could really use a good yield. Like, it's like you're marching around with your own goodness. You're, if you want to live under that covenant, don't sign up for it. If you want God to treat you based on your level of goodness, that's not going to go well. Because you are a sinner, my friend. So is the guy who's talking to you right now. We approach God because the goodness wasn't ours, the punishment was. But he put our punishment on the one who was good and releases us from that penalty. Now, why, why would we run back to chasing less than the one who can do that? So easy to want less than we should. Our our problem is not that we have we have too high of hopes for our lives. We have too low of hopes for our lives. Because we put our hopes in all this stuff that's going to be kindling and worm food in a minute. And we should have our hopes on that tabernacle where the light is on and the table is set and there's a place for you because God wants to be with you. What could possibly be better to look forward to or to hope in than that? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I thank you so much for the way you have taught us that you want to be with us, but our sin is what keeps us from you. And thank you more than anything that you have provided a way that the relationship between us and you can be repaired. There is only one way. But God, there's a way. His name is Jesus. He was punished instead of us and in our place. And he is more than enough. God, Help us retrain the eyes of our hearts onto that that banquet where the lights are on and the table is set and you have a place for us. There is nothing better that we can orient our lives toward. So help us get our eyes and our hearts off of the, the kindling and the worm food so easily entangles us. We love you, Lord, and we long to experience your full hospitality one day, guaranteed through Christ our land. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.